Hello and welcome to the AUDSS podcast. I'm your host, Yanni Peferis, and today I'm here with Dr. Amelia Jensen, who has just uh, just recently finished her uh, postgrad degree in uh, pediatric dentistry. So uh, hello to you, Amelia. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Yanni. No, no, very welcome. I think everyone's a bit keen to hear about different specialties, and uh, I personally am really excited to hear about uh, pediatric dentistry. I think that... Uh, uh, my rotation was very uh, illuminating. I think uh, we can go into that a little bit more as well a bit later. Mm-hmm. But um, as a tradition on the podcast, I thought before we get into the uh, dentistry, we could talk about, uh, talk about you a little bit. So what are your interests outside of dentistry? Oh, outside of dentistry? Well, at the moment, I have a six-month-old sheepadoodle, which okay. is an old English sheepdog and a poodle <laughs> cross. So I have a little puppy that keeps me very busy. Um but I'm also reading a book at the moment, which someone recommended to me, which I don't know whether to take offence to or not, but it's called Eat, Shoots and Leaves. And okay. it's like the, the little subhead heading is The Zero Tolerance Approach to Punctuation. So it's a little bit of a silly book <laughs> and yeah. it's an easy read, um, but it's basically about people who get really fed up with, you know, you know when people use there, there and there incorrectly? Yeah, that drives me insane. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, if you think that, you speak to the right person. Really enjoy this book. <laughs> yeah. and it's a really funny book. It's just like a. It's a really easy read, uh, but it includes a punctuation repair kit, um, oh. which you can uh, put a, the right apostrophes for people when they get it incorrect. So I've been enjoying that the last few days. Yeah. Oh, that, that's fantastic. I feel like. Um, oh, God, you know what? That it's actually such a, a pet peeve of mine. Know, just punctuation in general, uh, particularly yeah. with things like emails. When someone spells my name wrong oh. on an email, that just yeah <laughs> drives me up the wall. Oh. It's right there. <laughs> yeah, it's right there. Yeah. yeah, I think you'd actually really enjoy this book. The whole the whole thing is even just the title. So it's each shoots and leaves, and it's yeah. based on um, this lady who found like a wildlife book about a panda, and it's got a comma after the eats. So it's like eats, shoots, and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> so she's like, what are they saying? Like a panda yeah. goes into a cafe and like points a gun at the owner and is like, yeah. give me my meal. And then eats it's a completely meal different and story. And yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like a whole take on people getting punctuation wrong. It's really good. Oh, fantastic. It's good sometimes to have something lighthearted just to balance out some of the, uh, the dental horror stories when you've had a particularly bad day at clinic. You know, it's nice to come home and just have something you can just switch off for. Yes, that's right. I definitely find that with my dog, I can assure you, as he bites my feet as I come in, in through the door, yeah. uh, it certainly distracts me from the day, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, excellent. So I thought we could start with uh, your early career. So after you graduated from uh, BDS, um, so what happened uh, or what followed career-wise? Yeah, so um, when I finished BDS, um, the Australian federal government decided to trial a Um, uh, a voluntary dental graduate year program. So really similar to the NHS where they had this idea that they could potentially bring in like a intern year for dentistry. So you spend your first year out of dental school in a public public clinic and the government would fund those positions. And then once you finish, then you can go out and be a dentist. So um, I was like in the, the trial year of that. Uh, yeah. It wasn't compulsory. It was called the VDGYP, which is the Voluntary <laughs> Dental Graduate <Yeah>. Year <laughs> Program. 
Um, a complicated acronym, but I, I've said it yeah. so many times through that year. Not the year. most easily accessible sort of. <laughs> no, not at all. But um, it was a really good program. So um, they funded a position um, in rural Tasmania. So, again, the whole idea behind it is to sort of push dentists out into rural clinics, public mm. clinics particularly, because so many of us just end up straight into private practice after graduating. Um, so I ended up in a just a wonderful rural clinic in the north of Tasmania, northwest of Tasmania, um, where I spent this voluntary dental year. Um, it was great. Like it was set up really well. I, I had four days a week of clinic and I had one day a week of mentoring and there were some assignments to do as well. Um, and I loved it so much. I ended up staying there for another two years after completing that program. Um, but they abolished it. It turned out it was a really expensive move and they ran out of money after the first year. Oh, yeah. That's actually such a shame because it sounds like such a wonderful program. Um, yeah. We, we have something similar for uh, people as soon as they've graduated called the Other House Dentist Program, but this just seems like a more extensive, just better version of that. Yeah, that's right. And, I mean, the incentive for the clinics is that the federal government paid my salary so then the rural clinic, who would otherwise maybe not have enough money to hire another dentist, um, was then paid my salary. So they were basically mm. making a profit um, from me being there. And it was myself and another um, dentist as well. And that was enough money to actually allow them to uh, build onto their clinic and renovate it and add another three chairs on. So it makes a really big difference for these rural communities. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It sounds so like it is it. a shame. Yeah. yeah, but it was great that you were able to take part in that program while it was around, though, because it just sounds like you just had a fantastic experience and learned a lot from it. Absolutely, yeah. And you can sort of pick an area that you were interested in. And my interest out of dental school was surgery. Um, and being in rural Tasmania, I just did so many surgical extractions and learned from amaz amazing dental alveolar surgeons trained in the UK um, for a whole range of sort of minor dental alveolar surgery. And it really spurred an interest for me. That was basically um, what I loved doing. Um, and at the same time, I also worked in private practice whilst I was in Tasmania as well. Oh, so you got um, to see a bit of both worlds then. Yeah, that's right. And I think as a new graduate, I was really keen on public dentistry. Uh, but I think I also, I think the more time you spend in public dentistry, I think you start to get a little bit scared of the private world. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to have my hand in it. And I, I started off just on the Saturday morning. Uh, and then that eventuated into a few more days a week. And by the end of my three years in Tasmania, I was doing part, part public, part private work. Uh, and then I moved back to Adelaide and um, started working in an amazing private practice out at Wilson Lakes uh, and worked there for another few years before I decided to uh, start my journey into paediatric dentistry. Yeah. Um. Just touching on uh, something you said with that sort of, uh, stint in Tasmania, how important do you think that mentorship was in sort of your development as a dentist? Oh, it was so important. I think especially being in a rural area, I remember one of the cases that really stood out to me um, was a patient who had a really suspicious lesion on the lateral border of their tongue and there was a dentist who did a biopsy and then went off into an even more remote clinic on King Island. Um, and wasn't there for when the biopsy result returned. So it was myself and another new grad dentist who had this biopsy yeah. report that said it was an SCC. 
and I feel like all the alarm bells are going where it's like, don't biopsy something that you think is an SCC, like leave it for someone who has to give the diagnosis. And, you know, having someone who was a mentor, even though he wasn't even in the same clinic as me, he was in Hobart, which was a good three and a half hour drive from where I was living and working. Um, I was on the phone and we sorted out a solution on how we're going to tell this lady what are we going to do? How do we manage the situation? And I feel like that was that was in my first six months of graduating and I feel like it was a real eye-opener and having that person that I could just call um, and be like, what do I do in this situation? It was just invaluable. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds worthwhile. And I, I think that um, on a personal note, that's probably the one thing that I really, really want from a future employer. You know, I want to be able to have that mentorship because it's it's a big step. Yeah, uh, moving out into private practice straight away after working in you know SADS for the past you know, three years, really. So yeah, yeah, I think that's something that everyone is pro- probably very keen on uh, on searching for. Okay, so yeah, I think that um, mentorship would just be invaluable to any sort of um, sort of graduating dentist. Is there anything that um, just while well, we're on the topic of graduating and looking for employment, uh, is there anything that you would say to look out for in particular as being, you know, just something that you know, uh, a clinic should have? Probably it's a very poorly worded question, but <laughs> oh no, I understand what you mean. It's just a really tricky one to answer because, as I said, I feel like I just landed on my feet in a really lucky situation, like going yeah. into a. A little bit of an unknown, you know, I'm from Adelaide. I, I did my placement in Tasmania, but, you know, moving into state, I think is a really big deal um, when you're starting out in your career. Mm. Um, it's not that easy. Like, especially I grew up in Adelaide, all my family, my friends are here. It was a really big step for me to move into state, let alone starting off as a, a dentist um, in the real world. And it really is the real world. Like, I just remember my very first patient, of sort of giving treatment options and you just you just don't have that tuna backup. Am I looking yeah. at my dental assistant being like, is, <laughs> like, like, is what I'm saying real? Like it's really, yeah. it's really challenging. And I feel like you don't have a lot of time for anything else. Like it work is a little bit all consuming when you first start. Um, just yeah. because there's so many things that people can't teach you at university. Um, just about the odd questions that patients ask. Um, the way that they react to particular situations, working with staff, um, all of it is just really challenging when you're starting out. So I think having someone there to talk to is really important. Uh, As I said, working in a public clinic and part of this program, I was basically allocated a mentor, which I just think was just really lucky because he was just the most amazing like experienced dentists to learn from. Uh, I don't know how you would particularly find that in private practice and and ask the right questions to find out if someone does have the time. Mm-hmm. I have to say it does take a lot of time. I had so many questions, text messages, calling, meeting up, going through cases. Like it takes a yeah. lot of someone's time to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I guess finding someone who has the time and who's a really generous person. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's not, that's not yeah. helpful, I know. But, um, 
you know, if you can find someone and who's willing to put the time in, I think you should thank them a lot because I know how time-consuming it is, yeah. Hmm. So, um, so following that, that stint in Tasmania, you came back to Adelaide and started, um, started paediatric dentistry. So what got you interested in the course initially? Yeah, so um, when I came back to Adelaide, I just worked in private practice as a general dentist for a few more years. And again, like I just feel really lucky to have been working for someone who was just a wonderful mentor. So this woman that I worked for, I feel was really inspirational. Like she was really, I had all these interests. I loved doing courses. I was always signing up for CPD. Um, I started, I actually did um, progressive orthodontics, you know, that, like a two-year, yeah. yeah, sort of um, orthodontic resident program. I don't know what it's officially called, but um, basically there was 12 seminars and you really got a little bit more of an understanding of orthodontics. I'm, mm-hmm. I think I'm just tired with that brush. If I don't understand something, I really want to understand it and I go out of yeah. my way to find the answer. So it's not that I particularly had an interest in orthodontics, but I just really was irritated by the fact that I didn't understand it very well yeah. um, and didn't feel very prepared for the questions that people were asking in private practice. So I did that first and just having the support of um, this principal dentist was, again, invaluable. Someone who was like, yep, if you want to start something, if you want to do specific treatments on patients, you go for it, but just make sure you're really prepared for it and like you, you have to organise the whole thing. So train your dental assistant to help with it. Um, tell me how the quotes will work. Let me know how you want it set up. Do we need to give patients extra information? Like just just such a proactive um, yeah. woman. So again, like I, I learned so much and she was always pursuing me, um, letting me pursue different um, options and encouraging me to keep learning. So I think from that um I really enjoyed my surgical dentistry. Um, I took out a lot of teeth and uh, did explosions and bonds, took out little cysts, things that I'd learned in Tasmania, coupled with now a little bit of understanding of orthodontics. And paediatric dentistry is just the jack of all trades. Like you need to be on your toes for ortho, surgical procedures, trauma, endo, pros. There's nothing that we don't do. We just do it in a really specific um, clientele. So yeah. I think once I started those interests, I started going, I, I just, I joined up to every society. Like I was part of the Perio <laughs> Society, the Endo Society, the Peds Society. I just loved going to CPD and learning different things. And I feel like a lot of the things that interested me clinically started lining up with what people were presenting at these CPD functions in paediatric dentistry. So I think that's sort of, yeah. that's a very complicated yeah. way to answer your question on how I got interested in yeah. paediatric dentistry. Yeah. <laughs> so mainly people were asking questions and you just followed that uh, lack of knowledge to yeah. paediatric dentistry. Yeah, 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 pretty well, yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, something I wanted to, uh, to bring up. So you mentioned that your mentor had a very proactive approach and mm. I think that's fantastic. So uh, thinking about things that weren't necessarily... Um, yeah, at the forefront of your mind when you're considering when you're considering new treatment. So I know for myself, I you know get focused on um, yeah, and being in dental school, I feel like we all get focused on sort of the um, you know the steps for doing a particular task. We don't really think about the other things like uh, you know, quotes necessarily or training a dental assistant to 
um, you know, uh, to help us out in a specific way or, you know, any extra information the patient needs to get. So I think that's a really great mindset to take into you know, any kind of treatment, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really important. As I, said, as I said, when I started that progressive ortho and started bringing a little bit of orthodontic treatment into a practice that had never done any orthodontic treatment, it meant everything. Mm-hmm. Like no one had ever seen the instruments. No one knew how to respond when a patient would call up and say that they've broken a bracket. Yeah. Um, there was, it was a really big learning curve. And again, she sort of entrusted me saying, if you want to do that, that's fine. You just, you're in charge of this now. So yeah. like, again, it was so, it was so kind of her to do that for yeah. me. Um, but it also made me really think independently and made sure I was very organised for my clinic session. Mm. Yeah. And sort of take sort of ownership of that part of the practice as well, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, so you sort of entered into the uh, the paediatric program afterwards. And how did you, what was your experience of the program like? Was it very uh, sort of physically and sort of mentally demanding? Yeah, that was an understatement of what it is. I don't think anything prepares me for postgraduate training. You can hear it time and time again that it's hard, uh, but until you're in it, I don't think you'll ever understand what it's like to be a postgraduate. Okay. Yeah. So, So I mean. uh, Way more difficult than anything in dental school then. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just just reaching that next level. So, I guess it's a totally different learning style because you're – completely on your own you know I felt like in dental, like I reflect on dental school being like oh you know this general pathology exam it could be on anything like <laughs> but it really can't like it's so defined yeah. and then you get to postgrad and it's like this could be on anything like anything yeah. about anything <laughs> they could ask you and you're expected to know that's the it's a totally different challenge but again I think because I'd done so much CPD I was always doing going to different lectures going to different courses I love, I love learning. Like I just want to, I just want to better my skills so I can like make sure I'm giving the best quality treatment I can to my patients. Um, and then postgrad just set that bar, just a whole lot of notches higher for me. Yeah. So yeah, it was really good. Um, but yeah, the the most challenging thing I've ever done for sure. Oh wow! Was there anything that you didn't necessarily uh, anticipate about the program before you started? Because I feel like. Um, you probably would have expected it would be a difficult program. Was there anything really unexpected about it? Uh, yeah, I guess the fact that it was all consuming. So, I mean, as I said, I joined this society, you know, peds, endo, perio, whatever. And when I started getting more interested in peds, I started speaking to the paediatric dentists who were either in the program or had recently finished. Um, just sort of asking them what their experience was like and, um, I remember one response, particularly because I just got an interview for, for the program um, and I asked, asked someone who was in the program, what, you know, do you have any tips and tricks for me? And they said, it's not too late to withdraw your application. Oh, so oh wow. <laughs> it was such a brutal response. Yeah. I was like, oh, at the time I felt so like, oh, I don't know, disheartened, I guess. Yeah, uh, but having gone through it now, I completely understand that response. Like it yeah. is not for the faint-hearted. <laughs> no, especially um, considering you said that. Yeah, it really is a jack of all trades kind of profession. You guys do everything in a sense. 
Yeah, that's right. I think um, it's certainly a misconception to think that we just do behaviour management on naughty children, <laughs> uh, paediatric dentistry. <laughs> like that is just one percent of our daily uh, daily work, and probably that's the easiest part of it. So it's more the um, yeah. Well, to answer your original question, what did I find? Um, sort of uh, what what was I not expecting? Just as I said, how consuming it was. So it's getting in early to make sure you know exactly what's happening that day, checking through all the patients who have the most rare of rare medical conditions, really complicated things that you need to speak to their um, specific, like their medical specialist about before the appointment, making sure all of that is completed, um, seeing any patients who might have stayed overnight on the ward. So that could be because yeah. they're unwell it could be because they've had a trauma very late in the night and they were unable to go home. Um, it could be, you know, severe facial swelling, which has been, um, which is, has a spreading component to it. So we're monitoring them for observations. We need to do all of that before clinic starts at eight o'clock. So, oh, so it's a know, long days. Yeah, long days. And, you know, you're just starting off, you need to be prepared. Um, then the day starts and you've got your, your clinic so that might be um in outpatients so just working in you know like a normal dental chair but most of the kids are medically compromised or have come uh come from SADS referred for behavioral difficulties um simultaneously to that you're getting calls so calls from other hospitals calls from general dentists calls from SADS clinics about patients they're not sure how to manage so Perhaps something's gone wrong in a clinic, like a kid's overdosed on yeah. LA, they've had a trauma. There's, you know, you're constantly getting phone calls. Um, simultaneously, you might have an emergency surgery. So, again, someone's come in with a, some sort of dental injury or facial swelling um, or they're a really sick child who has a very small window of opportunity to do our work in. And we have to bend over backwards to make sure that they're fit in at the time that suits mm -hmm. them, not that suits us. Right. Uh, and all of this is happening simultaneously. And at the same time, you've got patients that need to be reviewed on the ward that are not booked in your clinic. It's yeah. just, it's constant. And then with postgrad, you then go home and study. So, so it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that segue is really well into a uh, question about work life balance. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, there's no. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> there's no work life balance. Like, yeah. I mean, you can pretend. I still caught up with friends and I didn't miss special occasions. So, weddings and uh, big birthdays, I would be there for. But the little things, uh, it's, it's sort of what suits at the time. So I never made plans in advance. Um, if, if I had friends who were going out for dinner on a Friday night, uh, I'd pretty well wait till Friday and just see how I yeah. felt <laughs> after the week that has just hit me in the face and yeah. figure out how, how much I had to do the next day it would depend on how late I would stay out that night as well. So yeah, oh, it becomes yeah, that sounds very responsible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, well, it only comes from making those mistakes a few times, and then you're like, "Oh, I can't, I can't." Yeah. This. No. yeah. But that being said, like I'm sure it was very uh, rewarding. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, again, I think getting into any postgraduate degree, especially paediatric dentistry, um, it's an extremely rewarding profession. You're 
I think, I don't think I really thought about it properly until I started the program. Um, But you're really shaping what's going to happen for these children in their years to come in terms of dentistry. So one bad experience or one thing that you say that didn't sit right with a child can really impact what they think of dentists long-term and how that will impact their dental care. Yeah, so I feel like you've got a really big responsibility there Um, and especially the kids, the medical kids that we see, they have gone through hell and back, to be honest. Like some of these kids, you just wouldn't believe what they've gone through. They're so resilient and they're still the ones that come in with a smile on their face. I think all you do is strive to make their life a little bit easier at that particular moment in time. And when they leave with a smile on their face, then you you really feel good inside that you've done a you've done a good job. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's fantastic. I mean, just speaking from personal experience, I feel like um, I've definitely seen patients in the Adelaide Dental Hospital that have carried trauma from their childhood you know, into you know into my sessions or into our sessions. So I, I don't think that can be sort of um, sort of understated or overstated enough. Yeah, it's uh, such an important thing to sort of leave kids with these good experiences of the dentist. Otherwise, they just sort of carry that through into their treatment as an adult. That's right. And I remember someone saying to me once, "Is is there anything in dentistry that really needs to be done in that moment? And I think that's a really good thing to keep in the back of your mind when you're treating a child. If they're not having a good time, it's probably time to stop. So there's usually something you can do to temporise the situation and if it's something that you think you you just need to come back on a different day, like the child's just having an off day or something's gone wrong maybe with your communication that day, um, get them back but otherwise maybe send them to someone who who you think is going to be able to manage them because there's there's no shame in stopping when when kids aren't having a good time because that's the, that's mm. what will stick with them if you push through and make them do something they don't want to do. Yeah. So I want to talk to you about some of your uh, more interesting cases as a paediatric dentist. So what would you say has been your your most interesting case? Oh, gee, that's a really difficult yeah. <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> uh, There's just so many interesting cases and I guess they're interesting for different reasons. So um, I've certainly had some really interesting um, cases on call. So, oh, that's the other thing uh, about paediatric dentistry and that uh, work-life balance you were talking about. You're also on call. So at the Women's and Children's, we, uh, when I started, we used to do a week at a time. So it was Thursday to Thursday on call. Uh, But we have a few more staff members now. So we each have a day of the week. And then we rotate weekends, which, uh, which is good. It doesn't come around quite as frequently. Um, but you get a lot of calls, really interesting traumas. Um, and I guess the, thing that, the things that really stand out to me are the problem-solving ones. So um, cases where someone's presented with a facial swelling, for example, um, yeah. and you do all your tests and you, you just can't quite put your finger on whether this is a dental cause and you do some sort of imaging or some sort of test that uh, confirms your suspicion, uh, and then we've seen some really interesting pathology, you know, a cementoblastoma that's um, caused a huge asymmetry in a child within weeks, really, like wow. expansion of the bone um, to the point that they need to have their mandible resected. Like really interesting wow. cases that, 
you read about and you go through your general like your dental pathology um thinking oh well this is just one in a million where yeah, I'm probably I'm never, never going to see this in yeah. my career yeah yeah and you end up seeing it and it usually happens on call um but yeah and then the rest of the time oh my day is just so interesting I don't think there's any single case that stands out uh but there's certainly so many kids that come in and you speak to the parents and you go through their medical history and there's something that you don't you haven't quite heard of before and you ask them a few more questions and they're like oh well it's actually because they're the fourth person diagnosed in the world with this condition um wow yeah so again like you, you just you see the rare of the rare uh in pediatric dentistry and it sounds like you're actually, forever researching oh yeah forever and i think that's the thing that i love about it and i think that's finally um stopped me from signing up to all of the societies and going to all the CPD because my day job now is so interesting and always changing uh, that I, I don't need that so much anymore. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So I think, you know, if anyone yeah. is looking to sign up and become a paediatric dentist, at least it will have a lot of variety from the sounds of it. Yeah. Oh, definitely. There's, no, there's never a dull moment. <laughs> oh, that, that sounds excellent. Um, so... Actually, I'll just pause quickly. So what advice can you give someone that's looking to go down a paediatric dentistry pathway? Um, I think finding out a little bit more information about what it's actually like to be a paediatric dentist. Um, so certainly speaking to um, specialists who are in private practice, uh, but also coming to the women's and children's hospitals. So um, that's where I'm currently working and we certainly have um, dental students and general dentists come through and just observe. And I think with even just observing one day, uh, I think you'll get a bit, bit more of a feel about what we actually do um, in the day-to-day. -day. There's not a lot of sitting around. Um, we don't really get a full lunch. If you've got any, <laughs> any thoughts that it might be, be a bit cruisy, um, that will certainly be stamped out within a few hours of working with us. So, um, there's also job opportunities. So there are resident opportunities. So this is where we've got general dentists who work in the department as well. So those who are not going through the program but work in the clinic. Um, I think that's a really good opportunity and it's open to new graduate dentists and those who have experience as well. Um, you don't have to necessarily start the program to see what it's like to work um, in the paediatric dentistry field. Okay. And just a question on that. So what would be the scope of practice of someone in that kind of uh, role? Would they just be seeing um, just seeing uh, kids in a general dentist type setting or uh, would they be sort of yeah. observing or helping with any of the sort of more extensive sort of surgeries or anything like that or? Uh, you get a bit of both. So um, at the moment, you know, the general dentists that work work with us, um, often their day-to-day -day would include a clinical list um, in our outpatient department. So, again, seeing our SADS fit and healthy kids who have behavioural issues, um, seeing our medical conditions that are maybe perhaps a little less involved. So, say, for example, a child with a repaired cleft lip and palate um, they certainly have dental issues and look, I could name a thousand medical conditions, but you know, medical conditions that are perhaps not, not life threatening yeah. or things that you really need to get right um, from the very start. Um, and even if you, if you, one of those patients slipped into the books, 
it's a real team approach. So another thing that I love about working there is all the patients are discussed at the start of the day with everyone. So that's with our head of department, with all the specialists, with all the people going through the program and with all the general dentists as well. So we go through all of the patients. So there shouldn't be a moment that you feel uncomfortable outside of your scope of practice. Um, But it's also a learning opportunity. So certainly they have um, lists in theatre. So we have GA sessions uh, pretty well every day. um, And they're certainly rostered onto those sessions depending on what we sort of book them appropriately. So cases that would be suitable um, for a general dentist to see are booked with our our dentists. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also observation time and even research time. So, yeah. There's lots to be involved in as a general dentist in the department. Uh, it sounds like a really good stepping stone, actually, to um, to something something bigger, like a you know a postgraduate degree. It sounds like a really great opportunity for people that are uh, interested in the field. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think if you've got any sort of interest, coming just to observe for a, a day or two would be a great start. Um, and then if that sort of tickles your fancy and you want to learn a bit more, then starting this resident role is a really good place to start. Right Evans Partners, the dental, accounting and finance specialists. Our people are here to assist you in every step of your career. Whether you're a student, dentist or business owner, we have the tools and the experience to see you succeed. Our dental graduate program provides you with a complimentary tax return or business activity statement and a financial health check to help you kickstart your career. Contact us today via our website, Facebook and Instagram or on 8208 4777 to start planning your financial future. WEP, with you every step of the way. All right. So I thought we might uh, change topics slightly and move on to tutoring. So for those that don't know, you uh, teach paediatric dentistry uh, for the fourth years at Adelaide University. So um, starting off, what kind of uh, sort of approach to dentistry or mindset do you appreciate in your students? I guess I really appreciate students who are motivated to be there. And I guess the thing that I've seen over the years is um, plenty of students who are not interested in paediatric dentistry. And I totally get that and respect it. Um, But I feel like whilst you're in dental school, you may as well get the most out of it because maybe you could find. I don't even know where I was up to. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) All good. Oh, hang on. Yeah, the mindset, the mindset yeah, of the mindset. Um, students coming through. Yeah, so I guess I really appreciate someone who's motivated. So even if you don't have an interest in paediatric dentistry, and maybe you'll be one of these dentists who never sees children again in their practice, it's so unlikely. I mean, in yeah. any private practice, there are always children coming through. And even if your main focus is adults, I bet you anything you'll have wonderful adult patients who really respect you as clinicians and they'll want nothing more than to bring their precious children to see you so I think for everyone it's a really important skill to have and there I just feel like there are some really basic basic things that you need to know which is those eruption times I know that you know you're in my group Yanni and you know sometimes I bang on about eruption times but even if you don't think it will ever be relevant Someone you know somewhere along the line is going to have a baby and they're going to ask you if it's normal that yeah. this truth is present. 
And I think it's going to be really weak when you say, I don't know, speak to a pediatric dentist. Like they will ask you for your opinion and it's like the baseline knowledge that you should have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And something I want to touch on as well. I'm sure you would have felt the same thing, but uh, when I was going through my pediatric rotations, I felt that um, even my general dentistry skills were getting a lot better just from, um, from my pediatric rotation. So uh, one thing you mentioned earlier, you know, being very quick with, um, you know, with your uh, sessions with kids, you know, just because they do tend to tire out a lot quicker than adult patients. So I found that my, my speed in, improved quite a bit, you know, just because I was forced to you know, become a lot more efficient with my time. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely say to, to anyone that's you know, maybe not seeing the value of their pediatric rotations that even from a general dentistry perspective, it can be quite good. Oh, definitely. And I think as well, just the behaviour management, um, how you speak to children and how you approach them is pretty well how you should approach an anxious adult as well. So I think if you can get your behaviour management uh, down packed for kids, I think you'll actually get much more success with um, adults who are anxious, anxious, which is probably most of the people that we see in general dentistry, yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, I found that um, it's one of the very few uh, professions where people just walk in and say they don't like the dentist or, you know, they just, yeah, yeah. straight up just don't like you. So That's yeah. right. And even the patients who do like you and they're okay, if you can make that experience really pleasant for them um, and you can bring in some of those um, behaviour management techniques, even for someone who's feeling comfortable, they'll just leave feeling like you're just a wonderful dentist and feel really happy with their service as well. So following on from that, um, what would you say are the fundamentals of paediatric dentistry? What skills do you, should you really be working on at an undergraduate level? I've got it out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess it's really important. You just really have to know those eruption times. Like I can't say this more. Um, you just really need to know your eruption times. Um, if you can do that, you're just a step in the right direction for paediatric dentistry. Yeah. Um, but also, like, treating children is, is, you know, especially a general examination, it's exactly the same as treating an adult. So don't forget all of those things that you do in a normal exam. So extra-oral exam, intraoral soft tissue, occlusal assessment, you're doing all of it. And as you said earlier, you have to be efficient and do it in a timely manner as well. So I guess just making sure you're really clear of the steps, especially for examination, um, and then just being prepared for your session. So if you're doing something new, um, if it's your first pulpotomy, first still crown, first filling on a child, whatever it is, um, I love the idea of a running sheet. So having every single step written, written down so that you can refer to it during your session um, so that you can do it as efficiently as possible. Yeah. Mm. And yeah, personally, I found the running sheets, you know, really helping with some of those, uh, the more difficult pr- uh, procedures like pulpotomies and stainless steel crowns. So I can definitely vouch for that as well. Um, yeah. What, what kinds of resources uh, do you recommend for people that are more interested in pediatric, pediatric dentistry or, you know, um, are maybe at an undergraduate level, but wanting to you know, expand on on their knowledge. Um, what a really helpful free resource is the AAPD um, reference guides. So this is the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. Um, it's available on their website. They have a whole bunch of links that are available 
um, and PDFs of articles um, and summaries. So they have expert opinions, they have literature reviews, and they've basically got all of the topics listed, um, which so many of them will be relevant um, in undergraduate studies. So looking at pulp treatments, looking at behaviour management, um, even just uh, restorations and material choices in paediatric dentistry. They've got it all listed and all about the current evidence um, for it. And uh, there's actually a textbook as well, uh, which is my favourite textbook for paediatric dentistry, which is called Behaviour Management in Dentistry for Children. And it's by Gerald Z. Wright. Um, and I'm sure you can find some sort of PDF copy, but you can still yeah. <laughs> buy it in an actual textbook form. Um, and it's a really good one because I feel like it really explained behaviour management to me in a way that I could understand and a way that I could mm. apply clinically um, even in the early parts of um, treating children. So it's a really good book. I recommend it highly. Okay. Just a quick question on uh, behaviour management. So uh, you said that's obviously a very uh, important aspect of, um, of treating children. How much do you think, um, how much of that do you think is sort of, uh, you know, your own personal behavior management, how much do you think you should be relying on things like, um, like nitrous oxide or, you know, um, sort of other sort of other aids? Yeah. Um, I think behavior management is really underrated. Um, I know there was a bunch of things that they said in dental school when I was going through that you sort of hear and I don't know, you don't really see the relevance at first. Um, uh, but it's really underrated. So, I mean, the thing that jumps into my mind is greeting the patient um, at their level in the waiting room. So, um, when you're a new graduate, you get the luxury of having a dental assistant and one of the things they do is get the patient in from the waiting room and you're like, oh, this is the life. Like, I'm not in dental <laughs> school anymore. This is great. Yeah. Um, but one of the things is getting the patient yourself. So, you know, if there's two patients in the waiting room and one is a 15-year-old female and one is a seven-year-old boy, you can pretty well figure out which patient you're seeing next. Like yep. you, you can figure it out from um, what's written down in their notes and going up to them rather than just yelling their name anonymously in the waiting room, um, you can go up to them and be like, oh, look, are you yarning? Like, what's your <laughs> appointment now? And you, you get down, like you might get down on your knees. Maybe they're looking at their phone or whatever they do. Um, and you can sort of engage with them from the very start. And if you do that, it's such a simple thing to do, but you've already built rapport with this kid. It's no longer a scary appointment. You know, they might have gone to get a blood test before and they were, their name was just yelled out in the waiting room. This is a different yeah. experience already. Like you've gone up to the kid, you've been a bit excited or commented about something they're wearing, like, oh, yeah. those shoes look so good. You must be able to run so fast in them. <laughs> you've just started, you've started your behaviour management already. Like that's behaviour management. And I think if you can build that rapport and even the walk between there and the, the chair that you're about to sit on, if you can build some rapport in that moment rather than just walking in silence, I think you're, you're already in such a good step. And all these things line up so that when you're getting to the point of nitrous oxide, it is just an adjunct. It certainly yeah. works. Like it's, it's no placebo. It's working. Yeah. Um, but you still need to use all of your behaviour management techniques from the start and you're so much more likely to be successful with that kid. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, it just sounds like you're uh, just advocating to make the most out of every single moment you have. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. yeah. Like don't waste a single second. You could be you know, building rapport or just doing something. That's right. Yeah. And if you run out of things to say, you can just start making up rubbish. Like it really doesn't matter. I <laughs> don't care what you say. I'm sure you've heard me say like at the time I didn't have a dog and I'd always ask if they have a pet, if they go for a walk with their dog. And I used to say like, oh, I don't, I don't have a dog. So I take my fish for a walk. Like I go down to the park and I put a little leash <laughs> on it and I take my fish for a walk. Like you can just say absolute rubbish, especially when kids are under about eight years old, that's the best age. You can you can say whatever and they'll just love it. Yeah, the ridiculousness of it just really entertains them. That's right. And it keeps their mind occupied because they're like, is she for real? Like, does she <laughs> actually do that? I think it gets their mind working and, yeah, it doesn't matter how silly you sound. Yeah. Well, I think that's a wrap up for us. I just wanted to thank you so much for your time. I feel like it's been a really illuminating conversation, uh, particularly for people that, as I said before, are really interested in pursuing this further. So, yeah, thanks again for your time. Oh, it's my pleasure. And if anyone's interested, if you want to come to the Women's and Children's Hospital um, and observe, don't hesitate to reach out. Um, I can give you my email address, Yanni, if you want to distribute it. Like, don't, feel free to drop me an email. Um, anytime and we can arrange an observation whilst you're in dental school or as a new graduate it's the, the door's always open oh fantastic I'll be sure to, um, to put your email in the, uh, the description for the other uh, podcast anyone that's wanting to do that okay. to reach out can, can reach you there so yeah thanks again for your time and uh, thank you for listening <laughs>